You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. So that's Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, if you haven't met me before, my name is Coy. I'm the associate pastor here. And it's so good to see you all on this wonderful and special day uh, for, for the Steens. Now, I want to start off with a question. Who do you imagine when you think of somebody who is uh, the head of something? Like for me, I often think of a, a very famous man who absolutely changed the world with as little as 11 secret herbs and spices. I'm talking about the honourable... Colonel Harlan Sanders, who's the famous founder and head of health food giant Kentucky Fried Chicken. When you're a kid and you drive by and see that shiny red bucket with his face on it, all you want to do and all your thing is like, boy, I want some of that chicken. All right. When you're an adult and you're sitting at the bus stop and you see that, that big bright poster next to you, that ad of his face right there smiling, smirking at you, and you look at him and you smirk back and you're like, oh yeah, it's time for a zinger box. All right. Is that, oh, it's just me then. All right. But, but see, when, when we think of somebody being the head of something, they're usually the face of something. The one we think of that's associated with that, that maybe particular business or organization. So here in our passage today, we have a verse that describes Jesus as the head of the church, that Jesus is the one that minds are to consciously think to when they drive past that big church sign with a Bible verse on it, the head that we associate with all things church, who is the founder, the leader, the boss, the CEO, the face of the church. And it's a great verse. Because so far in the verses before it, we've been in Colossians chapter 1, but in the verses before it, verse 15 to 17, we've seen the Apostle Paul describe the magnificence and and grandeur of Jesus, that he is God, the second person of the Trinity, that, that Jesus was there before creation and creation was made through him and for him, that in him all things hold together. And why I say our verse today is so great, because in the passages we've been in, Paul has so far described Jesus in a very cosmic and grand way. Paul has had us thinking about things that are invisible, the universe, creation. He's had us to think about the the supremacy of Christ over all these things. But it's right here in the middle of this, in this what scholars believe is this poem describing Jesus, that we have the one verse that brings us from a larger, grander view of Jesus all the way down to here to the people, to the body, to the church. 
that everything that has been described of Jesus so far in our series, his status, his power, his dominion, his supremacy, all that describes the one who is the head of our church and every church that has been and is to come. See, we've gone from here down to again here. See, the supremacy of Christ, which was firmly established before creation and exhibited before he walked on earth, reigns when he walked on earth, reigns now as the head of the church. While the previous verses in Colossians 1 had us thinking about how Jesus is the greatest, most excellent reality that exists over all creation, today's verse, verse 18, gives us an amazing truth that this same Jesus is supreme over the church, that he is our head but not in the way that we'd imagine like a CEO or of a business or an organization, but by Christ being the head of the body, the church. This means infinitely more than merely our view of a person in a leadership position or a leadership role. But with Christ being the head of the church, I suggest that it helps us see five things today. That one, Jesus has supreme authority over the church. Two, that Jesus shepherds over the church. Three, that Jesus ensures the security of the church. Four, that Jesus provides strength and life for the church. And five, that Jesus ensures the salvation of the church. See, and as we dig into these five functions of Christ's headship, what we're going to see is how Christ's supremacy is seen all the more by his being the head of the church, while also seeing how each function is actually a great comfort to us as his church. But before I get into my first point, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful that we can come together today to hear from your great word. We thank you for the letter in Colossians, Lord. We pray that today, that through your word, that, that uh, you challenge us, that you encourage us, that you convict us by your word. Take away any words of my own. Let it be only yours that remain in my friends' hearts, Lord. Uh, we thank you for the gift that you've given us today, uh, that we can come together to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. See, the first observation of Christ is, uh, as the head is probably the most obvious one, is that he has supreme authority over the church. And why I say obvious is because over the past few weeks, uh, we've seen Paul remind us in his description of Jesus that Jesus made everything, that he is the creator of all things. He is the Lord of all things. Another word for it is he is preeminent, which he uses in our verse 18 today. It means Jesus is superior to anything he and everything he created. That as Pastor Luke said just the other week, nothing would be here if not for Jesus. He is over everything, things which are visible and invisible, physical and spiritual. And so what this means is Jesus is undoubtedly Lord over the realm that most reflects the physical and spiritual, the church, the collective people of God. With Jesus as creator, it means he made the church and rules the church and has supreme authority over the church. But there's actually quite a lot more to it than him being the creator that gives him authority over the body. But because of what Jesus has done in his life, death and resurrection, the Bible tells us that because of that, the church belongs to him. That Jesus is the sole authoritative head of the church. To better explain it, after Jesus was raised to life and before he would ascend to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, Jesus' last words included this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
read in Matthew 28. Because Jesus had essentially fulfilled his mission, fulfilling God's will in being the saviour of the world, graciously dying for sin, victoriously resurrecting after three days and triumphantly ascending to heaven, he is exalted for what he has accomplished. That as the last part of verse 18 says, that in everything he might be preeminent, that he might have supremacy in all things. Now, this sounds a little strange, doesn't it? That it says in everything he might be preeminent. But this verse isn't trying to say that that Jesus didn't have supremacy over everything before the cross and the tomb. Because as we heard throughout all this series already, this poem has made it clear that Jesus as the creator God is indeed preeminent in all creation. He is Lord of all. But what I think this verse is saying is that what Jesus' resurrection did was accomplish his divine purpose as to display clear his supremacy over everything. That as author N.T. Wright says, the exaltation of Christ after his work on the cross gives him publicly the status which he always in fact enjoyed as of right. The puzzle was caused by sin, though always Lord by right, he must become Lord in fact by defeating sin and death. It's a little like Prince Charles. Like when Queen Elizabeth passed away, Charles was immediately the king. He is king by right. And yet it might not seem totally real yet for many of us, right? But the fact of the matter is he is still the king, even if we didn't think it was that real because we haven't seen it. Even if you hadn't seen him since her passing. Yeah, I think for most people, it won't be until the official coronation next year that it will seem the most real and most evident. That for now, most of us are still like Queen Lizzie, you know? Well, it's a little like that here with Jesus, but so much more. Jesus was already Lord of all as the second person in the triune uh, creator God. But by his death, resurrection and ascension into heaven that we see in the gospels, that we read in the Bible, that which was by right became in fact. In his exaltation, his lordship was powerfully and publicly demonstrated. And so he's fully deserving and rightfully the Lord of all entirely preeminent in everything, authority over all things, but authority especially over his church. Just as Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 22 says, that he, as in God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Jesus was given this authority at his exaltation, that he would be the head of the church. And it makes sense. Why does it make sense? Because what the church is, the church is a community of God's people who would worship Jesus and have faith in him for what he has done in bringing salvation. The church is a body of believers who live because of the risen Jesus and live for the risen Jesus. So it makes total sense that Jesus would be the head of this body, the supreme authority of the church, as people who have been saved by him are changed by him and live for him, we then submit to him as he leads us. And this is reaffirmed in so many other passages in the Bible, such as the well-known wedding passage in Ephesians 5, which describes the husband's headship over his wife as much like Christ is the head of the church. 
who gave himself up for the church as it, and as it is, as it says, the saviour of the body. Or in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, where Christ sends the, the seven letters to the seven churches. And each letter, notice that each of those seven letters, each letter begins with a statement that describes the authority of Jesus that he has over that church. For example, the church in Philadelphia, it describes Jesus as the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Or the church in Smyrna, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Or the church in Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. These were describing the authority of Jesus over his church, that Jesus has the ultimate authority over the church. So what this means for us is that we must always submit to his authority as a people in the body. But what does it actually mean to submit to his authority? Like, how do we know what he wants us to do? Well, that leads me to my next point, that Jesus shepherds over the church. See, in the Gospels that detail the life and ministry of Jesus, he makes seven I am declarations. And one of those is Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And this is significant because it had his listeners thinking about what a shepherd actually does and how he is the true, good, righteous shepherd over his sheep. Now think of a sheep. Honestly, sheep, they're pretty dense. And we know that in those days, they were also utterly defenseless and totally dependent upon the shepherd. So the shepherd's role was to direct his sheep, to guide them, to care for them, to protect them from danger. The sheep were always under the watchful eye of the shepherd. And this is what Jesus is to us as the church, because God's people were often referred to as the flock or sheep. Look at Psalm 100 verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Or John chapter 10 verse 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Or Psalm 79, 13, But we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. We'll give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. So as His sheep, we look to our good shepherd for guidance, for leadership, for direction, for protection, for nourishment, the head of the body. But it can be challenging for us to grasp this because for any shepherd to their flock, they are actually physically there with their sheep. But how do we make sense of it when our good shepherd is someone who isn't actually physically here? So what does that actually look like for us? Well, I think it means that Jesus leads and cares for his church by his living word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why Jesus leads and rules in authority through this book, through his word, is because the Bible is God's word breathed out to us. God has given the Bible into our hands that we may better know him and be guided by his words as we live for Christ. 
Scripture is, is a real and tangible means in equipping us to walk in, in the paths that Christ has set for us in his word. As said in Isaiah 59, it is the living word, Hebrews 4 describes it as, the living word, alive and active. It means God's word has vital power. His words accomplish his purposes. It brings people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to be transformed by Jesus. As well-known theologian Martin Luther says, the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. It is the living word of the living God. And so as sheep to the good shepherd, we submit to his authority by submitting to his word, letting it be the guide and life source to our everyday lives. As Pastor R.C. Sproul says, the Bible tells us what Christ would have us believe and how Christ would have us live. And so because of this, as was his intent, Jesus as the good shepherd has called and placed ministers of the word in his churches throughout who are like under shepherds. In other words, shepherds under the good shepherd, pastors of the church who have been called to lead, guide, protect, uh, and feed Christ's flock in real and tangible ways, all surrounded by this book. But seeing pastors with such a great responsibility, our passage has an important reminder that these under-shepherds are not the good shepherd, that the head of the church isn't your lead pastor, isn't your senior pastor, but the head of church, the head of the body is always and always will be Jesus. And so it's vitally important that those given the responsibility to pastor churches are wholeheartedly uh, and humbly under the submission of the true head of the church, which is what was the issue as Paul was writing this letter in Colossians because they'd be, they were being swayed, the listeners were being swayed by false teachers, so-called under-shepherds under who are not connected to Christ but had cut themselves off from the true head of the body as they went around preaching false gospels, which has also continued on all the way to today. We think of the Roman Catholic Church, who started off as a true church of Christ, yet when it decided that somebody else could replace Christ as its head, it all went downhill with popes and councils issuing own decrees and directives that were mixed with truth and error. The Roman Catholic Church lost its direction. Or even think of some Protestant churches today that start off as great, word-soaked uh, bodies of believers, but then the pastor grows in pride and ego. The under-shepherd delights in prosperity and pleasure. And so the church that once started under the guidance and direction of the good shepherd Jesus is now under the headship of the wealthy, hip, watered-down watered gospel preacher. A church that is unrecognisable from when it started now worshipping the created over the creator. No longer under the guidance and authority of the Lord, cut off from the true head of the body. See, this is a great reminder and even warning to not only me and Luke as pastors of City and Hill, Melbourne West, but a reminder for you also that we need to keep ourselves constantly under the guidance and directorship of Christ, our head. And we do this by following his word closely, not adding or subtracting from it, but let the word of God guide us, nourish us and protect us as we feed on it daily, 
submitting to the words of Christ as it is his authority that we are under. Don't make your pastor or your preacher your good shepherd, but trust in Jesus as your good shepherd. Because when we don't, we become prone to go astray from him. Only Jesus can guide, direct, protect us from the world that wants to devour us. As well-known preacher Dr. Adrian Rogers says, the Bible is a supernatural, spiritual, sovereign, surviving, sustaining, supercharged book about my Saviour. See, after hearing examples such as the, the Roman Catholic Church or the many churches that have strayed from the head that is Jesus, it can come as a bit of a, a surprise that somehow the church has remained over the past 2,000 odd years. Because when you consider our nature as a very sinful and fickle people, you'd think the church would have and should have dissolved by now, right? Yet somehow the church of Jesus remains today and is actually even flourishing in many areas around the world, such as China or parts of Africa. And so my next point is actually a great encouragement to us sitting here today, that with Jesus being the head of the body, it means that Jesus ensures the security of the church. See, something evident in these verses describing Jesus is, his, uh, the, is the magnitude of his power, that he is the creator God. And creation was made through him and for him. We've seen over the past few weeks the bigness of Jesus, how he rules the entire universe and cosmos, that Jesus has dominion over all things. And so with Jesus being the head of the church, we can rest assured that all that Jesus wants his church to accomplish will indeed come to fruition because Jesus is over all. That's the, the, the title of our series, that he is over all things. He is the sovereign God in control of everything. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that the church of Jesus remains today. Where over the centuries and even into today, bodies of believers are gathering, are still knowing Jesus and are still making Jesus known. See, as I said earlier, Jesus' last words in Matthew 28, before he ascended to be at the right hand of God the Father, was all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But then what he says, what are the words that set, he follows after that? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, whose authority reaches not just heaven, but all of earth, tells his disciples to go and bring his good news to the world. And so these disciples go and do exactly that. As the gospel of Jesus makes it its way around the world and through history, as bodies of believers, as churches are planted, are grown, are preserved and developed. Because Jesus, who has dominion over all things, is the head of his church. The Lord Jesus ensures that his church will develop exactly the way that he wants it to. That if Jesus says nothing will stand in the way of the church's growth and the reach, then nothing will stand in its way. As Jesus himself said to one of his disciples, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, isn't that a great comfort to us? That our head over the church, who has all the power at his disposal, is the one whom preserves, whom protects and provides for us, the church. That Jesus 
as the head of the church ensures her security. And it's a comfort because it means in the face of constant persecution, the church is still secure in Christ. See, I think of the church in China. We're under a heavily communist government while Christianity is still legal. Churches are often under surveillance, censored and controlled by the government. So there was a time more recently uh, where certain biblical books were forbidden in China. Evangelism wasn't allowed and the gospel couldn't be boldly proclaimed. I remember hearing from a member who used to attend here at City and Hill, Melbourne West, um, who lived, who was born and lived most of her life in China, that when her church met for Bible study at the building, the government had installed cameras all around the building to ensure that they could limit and control what the church did and what they were teaching. And yet, while there were, there are many attempts to suppress the church in China, I read articles that detail the rapid growth of the gospel over there that there are tons of underground churches or house churches where bodies of believers gather to grow in God's word and are bringing more and more people to know Jesus. But what's most interesting about this is that a lot of the house churches aren't underground because of all all the government meddling, but it's more so a strong stance to remind them that Jesus Christ is still the head of the church, not the government. How amazing is that? See, for every era and timeline, the church of Jesus has been met with fierce opposition. Enemies and opposers who have made it their life's mission to thwart the body and all that it stands for. And yet to this day, we see the church remain growing and moving as Jesus' name continues to reach the ends of the earth. It's like what a well-known pastor, Charles Spurgeon, says, how often has the church been attacked, but how often has she been victorious? The number of her battles is just the number of her victories. Foes have come against her. They have compassed her about. They have compassed her about like bees, but in the name of God, she has destroyed them. The church continues to flourish as her head, Jesus, continues to protect and preserve her as he deems fit. No matter how hard the enemy Satan tries to destroy the church as a whole, tries to extinguish the power and passion of the gospel moving across the world and changing lives, with the almighty and sovereign Jesus at the helm, the church has and will continue to withstand all opposition. How encouraging is that for us to hear? Because as we know, the church isn't just the bricks and mortar that make up the place of worship. It's not just the pulpit or the pews, but the church is God's people. You and I sitting here today, God is on our side. We have the creator God himself as our head. As early 19th century Presbyterian preacher William Nicholson says, while other systems have fallen and are almost forgotten, the church continues firmly fixed on the immutable saviour. False prophets have fallen, false teachers and false Christs have fallen, and all future pretenders will fall. Jesus ensures the security of the church. You know, I think of um, the Acts 29 network director for Asia Pacific and a pastor of Liberty Church on the Gold Coast, Adam Ramsey, who was actually one of the elders during the final years of the well-known church, uh, Mars Hill in America which you may have heard about on the popular podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. But if you don't know, long story short, he was a strong 
very strong gospel-centered church in America that grew leaps and bounds in a short amount of time. It was making waves across, not the US, but across the world. Yet in what seems like overnight, it all fell apart. And while it could be, it would be easy from the outside to think its downfall would spark perhaps the collapse of the Western church across the country and other places and that the enemy Satan had won, God would use Adam Ramsey to come home to Australia and plant a now thriving church in the Gold Coast that pre preaches Jesus and has brought so many to know the Lord. See, this is a wonderful reminder for us as those in the body of Christ that no matter what, Jesus, our head, remains in control. Jesus continues to be preeminent. Jesus continues to plant. Jesus continues to preserve. Jesus continues to protect his beautiful bride, the church. It reminds me a lot of the famous words that Jesus actually said in one of his parables. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. As believers in the body, trust your foundation upon Jesus, the rock, and our head. See, the redeemed church is founded upon this rock and it cannot be shaken. As Charles Spurgeon says, some churches may be in danger, but God's church is not. That is safe enough. That shall stand secure even to the end. And I think this is so timely for us at Melbourne West to hear because it can feel like our city, our state, our country continues to be more and more anti-church, that we're now viewed as the bad guys to society. So we can be encouraged that even as it heads this way, Jesus remains on his throne. The body will not be gone, for our head is the highest. We set our foundation upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. Now, when hearing that Jesus ensures the security of the church, the reality is that all around us, we also see churches that do fall apart, churches that do disband, that do dissolve, and some that are even destroyed, which leads me to my next point, that Jesus provides strength and life for the church. One of the best and clearest examples of Jesus providing strength and life for the church is the early church in Acts which many of us would have heard about before, where we see all throughout the book the amazing growth and spread of churches throughout cities. It's actually quite remarkable how, remarkable how quickly the gospel spreads and churches are planted in Acts with faithful servants as God, such as the Apostle Paul or Apollos, who laboured tirelessly to build up the church of God. But what I love is that even when these faithful men were planting thriving, successful churches, they knew who was the one that gave it strength and gave it life, which should reorient how our perspective of church too. Look what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And I always love this verse. It reminded me of my, my backyard actually, with the lovely Ivana, Pastor Luke's wife, who generously, she loves 
uh, gardening and she generously gave Lena, my wife, and I some lamb ears plants, uh, which I planted. But if you know me, I, my thumb is the least greeniest of anyone in all of Melbourne. So throughout winter, I, I thought that they had died, these lamb ears, that died due to lack of giving it much water, actually lack of giving it any water. And, um, and stacks of weeds started to grow all around it. So I sprayed my whole garden. I was like, well, I guess they're dead, so I should start again. So I just thought I would just spray weed killer across the whole garden and just rip up everything and start over. Little did I know that they somehow survived my attempts to kill them and they are now thriving. Like there's these lamb ears mixed in with all these tons of weeds across my house. And it just reminded me, Ivana gave, I planted, nobody watered, but God gave the growth. How good is that, right? But seriously, for his church, Jesus is the one who provides life and power. He sustains and strengthens her. We must never forget that any increase or maturing in the church comes only from the one who heads it. As one pastor puts it, Jesus is the one who provides the sustenance and energy that transforms the church into a dynamic growth movement. And so we have to ask ourselves as a body of believers, how is my relationship with Christ? Individually, am I maintaining a closeness with the one who gives strength and life to the body? Am I drawing, am I daily drawing life and sustenance from Jesus, the head, from his word, from prayer, from his spirit? The fact that Jesus provides strength and life to the church, it means we as the church have a responsibility, a responsibility to draw near to him each day. Because when we don't, we are actually cutting ourselves off from the one who gives us life like an arm that cuts off the blood circulation. If a part of the body draws further from that which gives it strength and life, it's only natural that that body part would eventually die and worse may need to be cut off. And worst of all, could even lead to the entire body being destroyed. In order for the body to be a lively, energetic and dynamic movement, we must maintain a closeness with our head, which gives us life, Jesus. As Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The whole body only grows and builds itself up when each member grows up in every way into him who is the head. In other words, because Jesus is the one whom provides strength and life to the church, all of us, every single one of us, are called to deepen our relationship with him in order for our church to thrive. Which is a great challenge and encouragement to us that we ought to discipline ourselves and encourage one another. Encourage one another to be in his word for his word helps us see more of who he is and how we live for him. Let's be praying more as a church. Be prayerful in your own life. Start off, start off your day with it. Take walks while doing it. Pray with your spouse and your kids. 
but also make the most of it as a body together. Join the morning Zoom prayer that we, before you head off to walk. Join the, the monthly prayer meetings that we have here at church. But we also should be relying on the Spirit's work, God in us, to enrich the body. Just as 1 Corinthians chapter 14 encourages us to be zealous, passionate of our spiritual gifts, that we may use them to edify the church. Use the gifts that God gives you, has given you to serve his church. Encourage other members of their gifts and help them along in it. Celebrate and use faithfully the spiritual gifts when Christ, which Christ has provided for the church so that it may be built up. I can't help but think of the great example of the church in Acts, where in chapter 4, as the church prayed for boldness in the face of an unbelieving world around them, something amazing happened. It says in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Here was a church that was evidently infused with strength and power from Christ, a body of of believers who sought to draw life and power from Jesus, their head, and were profoundly changed by it. May we too be trusting and bold in seeking Jesus' life for our church, all of us. See, as we draw to a close, reflecting on our verse 18 in the context of the entire passage, it's quite an amazing verse now that we think of it. Because what this poem describing Jesus' magnificence essentially does is move the readers from a picture of Jesus in creation to the wonderful reality of Jesus in new creation. That the church, you and I, the body of believers in this Saviour Jesus are in fact new creations in Christ. As 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This means those who are in Christ, those who have a saving faith in the living Saviour Jesus, To these people of God, the old has passed away and the new has come. Christians are made anew. We are now a redeemed people, new creations by the complete saving work of Jesus. Because the old, that 2 Corinthians refers to, the old is talking about how before Jesus' death and resurrection, all of us were completely dead to sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What this verse reminds us is that as a people, as human beings, our head had always been the first man created, Adam. The federal head, he's called, of the human race who, as Genesis chapter 3 tells us, broke the covenant between God and himself by sinning and bringing all his descendants under the terrible curse of sin. Our representative, whose sin meant that our sin 
means deserves nothing more, nothing other than death. And yet, our Creator, the second person of the triune Godhead, Jesus, would enter into this mess to initiate and institute a new covenant, one of grace, where in Jesus, to those who have faith in him, are no longer represented by Adam, but are now represented by Christ, the second Adam, they call him. And he initiated this covenant of grace by having his body broken on the cross, that his body, the church, would one day be a shining light of the Saviour to a darkened world. Because Jesus has taken on our sin and paid the price of death by dying on the cross and was raised to life, defeating death's sting, the church can stand confidently in the words, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. For the church, as our old head had brought us into death, now with Jesus as our head, we are now brought into life. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Because of what Jesus has accomplished in his life, his death, resurrection and ascension, we can have faith that Jesus ensures the salvation of the church. That as verse 18 of our Colossian passage says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And just like in verse 15 earlier, this word firstborn isn't meaning uh, the kind, the first of his kind. But as theologian R. Kent Hughes puts it, it means first in rank, first in honour, first in authority. It means the greatest, which is exactly what Jesus is over death. For it was his resurrection that was the greatest and most important of all. And it was because of this that all of God's people, the church, you, me, believers across the world, believers throughout history, can be raised to life. Because without Jesus' resurrection, there could be no resurrection for others. As author Stephen Cole puts it, Jesus was the first one to break the hold of death in a glorified body by virtue of the resurrection. As such, he is the beginning of a new creation of God. Jesus, our head, by dying for our sin, being raised to life and ascending to heaven in glory, has blazed the path for us, the church. Because of him, we have moved from death to life. For as author Scott Hubbard writes, out of the tomb on Easter morning, God's new creation sprung forth from the thorns of the old. The new world began not yet in a piece of land, but in the person of the firstborn. But he has no plan to confine the new creation to his own body. Jesus looks to the day when he will give the word and his brother's bodies will rise imperishable on a new world, fit for the family of the resurrection. That is our head. What a God we worship who would come to save us and lead us. Why don't we pray together, church, and we'll stand and sing together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have graciously gifted us, your son Jesus, 
who died and was raised to life, ascended to sit at your right hand, exalted and has dominion over all things. We thank you that Jesus is our head, that we have the creator and saviour God who leads us with authority, who shepherds us by his living word, who protects us and preserves his church that we need not fear, who gives us power and life and who has ensured the salvation of his people. We thank you that this was all done not by anything of our own doing, but completely by the grace of Jesus Christ. Help us each day to draw nearer to Jesus, that we may be a body who lives for and reflects the head that is our Saviour. Thank you, Jesus, that by you being the firstborn of the dead, you have paved the way for us to life. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.